Brother Rick, Miss Nancy, so glad to see you in church this morning. We'll be in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 this morning is where we will begin. And uh, just want to look at <clears throat> look at this through a certain lens this morning. You know, we live in a world today that seems to focus, well, in my opinion, I think probably in most folks' opinion, we focus way too much on the negative. You know, several years ago, uh, when we were still living in town in Magnolia, we cut cable. That's probably one of the best things that happened to me because I used to watch the news all the time. I loved the news. I'd come home for lunch. I'd turn the news on while I ate lunch. You know, I loved watching the news. I cut cable. I don't watch the news anymore. And you know what? I think I'm happier. <laughs> you know, I think you can... If you, if you know somebody that watches the news all the time, they're probably not that happy. You know, I think it's how we can identify a lot of people in our society today. You say, well, they sure are grumpy. They must watch the news all the time. Anyway, because the news focuses so much on the negative. You know, it, it's so rare anymore that especially the, the major, the national news, focuses on the good aspects of what's going on in society. They kind of go more for the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads, so to speak, in the news coverage. And, and uh, sometimes if it's not bleeding up, they'll make it bleed, so to speak, figuratively, so that they can run with that. But uh, I really think when it gets down to human nature, we'd a lot more rather read the good stories. I like to read a good human interest piece. And uh, some of you know this about me, some of you uh, may not, but I did spend some time uh, as a journalist. Uh, I have a degree in journalism, and, and uh, you know, I had to write some of those stories that were kind of the if it bleeds, it leads type stories, but I loved writing a good human interest piece, and uh, just uh, that really uh, makes folks feel good. But, you know, we take it another step, and we really like good news when it's about us, don't we? Share it all over the place. I love to look get on Facebook and see where somebody shared with their kids on the honor roll or the dean's list. We love good news, especially when it's about us or our kids, but you know, we really like it. Makes us really feel good when somebody just comes up to us and says, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for what you did. You know, that was pretty standard for Paul. He liked to lead with the good news when he was writing letters to the churches we find in as we look through uh, the, these epistles, these letters that he wrote to the churches that we find in the New Testament, and it was pretty standard for him to start off with the good stuff. I'm so thankful for you. As a matter of fact, we just, I mean, I'll give you a rundown of it. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 1.8, he says to the Romans, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. In 1 Corinthians 1.4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you. In Ephesians one. 15 and 16, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. Philippians 1, 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Can you imagine every time he thought about them, he, he looked at God and he said, thank you for the Philippian believers. The Colossians 1, 3, we give thanks to God and to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Can you imagine how good that made the Colossians believers feel to read that? It said, the Apostle Paul is praying for us all the time. Boy, that made them feel good. 
twice to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1-2, Paul said, We give thanks to God always for you. In 2 Thessalonians 1-3, we are bound to thank God always for you. But you know, there's one group of churches Paul never said that to. And if I was to ask you to guess this morning, you'd probably guess because I had you turn to it. Galatians. We never read in Galatians where Paul says, I'm thankful for you. And so we say, well, what is the salacious headline here? What are they doing that is so bad that Paul doesn't even stop and say, thank you? We, we, start, we have a little bit of knowledge about what's going on in the other churches. You know, we, like, we consider the Corinthian church. A lot of bad stuff going on there in Corinth. I mean, they're worldly, they're divisive, they're immoral, they're immature. There's major problems going on in the Corinthian church. And Paul says, I always thank God for you. But he doesn't tell the Galatians that. What we'll see as we look at our text this morning is, you know, the Corinthian problem. We won't see this in our text, but I'll tell you this first. The Corinthian problem was that they didn't get along. They didn't live right. But we'll see in our text this morning, there's something a lot worse than just not living right. What's worse than not living right? Not believing right. That was the problem in Galatia. In the Galatian churches, more than one church in this region of Galatia. Galatia's a region, several churches in that area. And this is such a big problem that Paul's just got to jump right into the issue. Read with me, if you will, in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want, to, and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed, as we've said before, so now I say again, in case you didn't hear him the first time, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll stop there for right now. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. I pray now that as we look into your word and as we examine what Paul is writing to these churches, that we'd realize there's a word for us here too. There's a, a caution for us here too. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as a church, 
that you'd speak to our hearts as individual believers and you'd help us to receive whatever message it is that you have for us here in this text this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We get past the formalities of those first five verses. And, and of course, if, you, if you're looking, at, at, like we said earlier, at all the other epistles, and you notice there was that one thing missing. Paul didn't say he was thankful for them. He jumps in at this one problem, this one major problem. Have you ever witnessed somebody do something and you kind of did that German shepherd thing. You know, I have a German shepherd, so I see this sometimes. But they'll see something, and they'll just go. They just turn their head sideways, you know. You ever watch somebody do something, and you're just saying, how could you be so ignorant? It's a nice way to put it, you know. I'm just amazed that you would do something like that. You know, that's kind of, that's what we get here. Paul says in verse 6, I marvel. That word marvel, I think if you have a, an NIV or, or an ESV, I, I think it says astonished. Paul says, I'm absolutely astonished. If you have a NASB, a New American Standard, it, translated, it translates it's amazed. It could also be astounded. It could be bewildered. We see the same Greek word uh, used over in Matthew 9-8 after Jesus heals the man who's been paralyzed. And Jesus tells him to arise, take up your bed, and go home. And it says there in, in Matthew, uh, he says that the crowd marveled at what they had just seen. It's the same word that Paul uses here talking about the Galatian church. That crowd, after they saw Jesus heal that lame man, their brains just couldn't quite process what they had just witnessed. They know what they saw but they didn't quite understand it. They couldn't wrap their mind around it, and they marveled at what had just happened. And as Paul is writing to the Galatian churches, he's saying, I just can't wrap my head around the reports I'm getting about you. I marvel at the fact you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. You see, the thing is, Paul had been there. Paul had been in the Galatian region, and Paul had taught them the gospel. Paul had shown them what was right and what was true, and that salvation comes by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ, and Paul taught them those things. He knew they knew right. You can look sometime if you want to read about when he was there. It's in Acts chapters 13 and 14. But we, if we look at that account in, um, in Acts chapter 13, verse 48 says that when the Gentiles heard the gospel, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, it says, and many believed. Many believed the true gospel. They had already believed. Verse 49 says, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So not only did they believe, but they obeyed, and the gospel spread. Let me tell you something. If you really and truly believe the gospel, you have to spread the gospel. 
If you believe something so strongly, if you believe that faith in Jesus Christ will save you, and you don't tell lost people about it, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. When you truly believe, you ought to spread the gospel. You know? And that's just, that's the way. If a tornado's coming, and I know a tornado's coming, well, you think, I, you think I'm just going to jump in the truck and leave and run for shelter and leave Mary and Truett there? No, I'm going to tell them the tornado's coming. There's danger coming. Come on, let's go. When we truly believe the gospel, we've got to tell people the danger's coming. Hell is real. Hell is real. I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I can. And that ought to be every believer's goal, not just the preacher's. Paul said, you knew the gospel. You shared the gospel. Now what happened? I want you to notice something from these verses. Paul says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon. Paul's not marveling at the fact there's false teachers. Paul's not shocked that there's false teachers. Because you know what the false teachers are? In a word, they're lost. These are the Judaizers, as they would be called. They believed enough about Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was who he claimed he was in a sense. But they said, if you want to be a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to follow the rules. And then Jesus gets you to heaven. That's a very simplified version of what they believed. They turned Christianity into a works-based religion instead of faith. But Paul says, I'm not shocked by them because they're not really saved. They're lost people. You know what lost people do? Lost people do what lost people do. (laughs) They sin. We sin. But lost people don't share the gospel. We ought not be shocked when lost people do what lost people do. A lot on Facebook this week about, um, what was it, the Grammys? I mean, I don't keep up with the award shows, but I'm pretty sure it was the Grammys. And there was the Satan worship that took place on the stage of the Grammys, and there was all this fuss on Facebook. And I'm just like, I was never shocked. Some people say, I'm shocked that they'll let this happen. I wasn't shocked because lost people act like lost people. And we should never be shocked when lost people act like lost people. Paul says what we should be shocked about is when Christians act like lost people. When Christians don't act like Christians. Paul says, I marvel that you're turning away from what you know is right. And you know, Peter knew that all this was true of some of the folks that uh, that he wrote to. Turn over to 2 Peter for just a minute, if you will, uh, over uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to show you something over here. He reminds his readers of their salvation and the position their salvation put them in. And uh, verse 10, I'm going to tell you what verse 10 says in the Amplified Bible. I really like what the Amplified Bible, how it phrases uh, 2 Peter 1.10. He says, be sure that your behavior reflects and confirms your relationship with God. Your behavior, the way you act, ought to confirm and reflect your relationship with God. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason... 
I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Remind you of what? That your behavior ought to reflect your relationship. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, meaning he'll die, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter told his writers, you ought to act like a Christian. He said, and as long as I'm alive, I'm going to remind you. You need to act like a Christian. He said, and guess what? When I die, I'm going to make sure there's people who are going to tell you, you need to act like a Christian. You know, we ought to be reminded, we ought to remind ourselves regularly. We ought to expect that when we come to church, we ought to be reminded regularly. We ought to act like a Christian because the life inside, the life uh, the life inside ought to be reflected in the life we live. You see now why Paul is so upset with the Galatians. Because, see, for the Corinthians, he knew they had the gospel down. They understood the true gospel. They just weren't living it out right. You see, Paul says, I can work with that. They understand the gospel. Now we can work on the way they're living. The Galatians didn't understand the gospel anymore. They had perverted, they had allowed the gospel to become perverted. If you don't have the gospel right, you're not going to get the outward living right. This is important. If there's any confusion as to what the gospel is, we have nothing to, unif- to, be, to uh, unite around, to, to unify around. That's the problem at Galatia. Paul says there's something else to look at. There's one source of proof. Look at Verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the phrase according to man doesn't mean a lot to us. A lot of, you know, it's not something we use in our everyday vernacular. We don't uh, necessarily talk like that, but. What he's talking about, and his, his audience would have understood this, that, of course, the way that the, the teachers in those days, the, the rabbis would have received their training, would be go sit under another rabbi. And the older rabbis passed along their knowledge to the younger rabbis, you know, in a lot of the ways that uh, we'd go to seminary today and we learn uh, from these other teachers. We read textbooks, we all these sorts of things. But Paul says, I didn't get my knowledge from any of that, not my knowledge about the gospel. Now, Paul was was trained as a Pharisee, but he says, I didn't get my knowledge about the gospel from that. I didn't set under the teaching of a man. He says, my knowledge came directly from Jesus Christ. And, of course, we have the biblical account to back that up. It's real easy for us to say, I could sit here and say, God spoke and told me. Let me tell you, if it doesn't line up with this, he didn't tell me nothing. I just probably need to go to the hospital and get a psychological evaluation. I don't know. But uh, God doesn't speak audibly to us anymore. He speaks through his word. But Paul says, I had this experience where Jesus spoke to me. Jesus taught me. 
And he goes on to give the evidence of this, in, beginning in uh, Galatians 1.13. He says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I, this is where it starts, where we still need to pay attention. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. You say, what is significant about that? How does that prove anything? Paul said, my testimony was proven by the way I lived. You see, they knew how I used to live. They knew who I used to be. I used to be the guy that went around killing Christians. I used to be the guy who my number one goal in life was destroy, destroy the church of Jesus Christ. But then I met Jesus, and everything changed. And now my number one goal in life is to build the church, to convert people to followers of Jesus. He says they knew my testimony, and they saw the way I'm living, and the way I'm living confirms my testimony. Let me ask you a question. Does the way you live confirm your testimony? Does the way I live confirm my testimony? I heard Adrian Rogers say one time, said the biggest argument for Christ or against Christ is the life of a Christian. As we live our lives in the society day in and day out, as people look at our lives, what are we telling them about Jesus? That's important. The proof of the power of the gospel it's reflected in the changed life of the believer. That's what Paul's telling them. He's saying, the gospel I taught you was true, and you can know that by looking at my life. But there's one more truth we need to see before we finish up this morning. Paul needed the Galatian believers to know that he wasn't in this for self-promotion. This wasn't about Paul. Look back at Galatians 1 verse 10. He says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of God. Paul knew he wasn't going to win any popularity contest. Can I tell you, if you follow Jesus Christ, you're not going to win popularity contest in the world every day. You may not be the favorite person at work because, see, people are going to talk a certain way. They're going to use words that a Christian ought not use, and you're not going to use them. They say, hey, man, why don't you talk like that? Or you might even say, hey, would you not talk like that around me? I really don't want to hear that. 
you know, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't talk like that around me. And you're not going to win popularity contests. The guys may be telling, uh, the women may do it too. I hate to single out the guys. Maybe over here telling the dirty jokes they tell at work. And you say, you know what, I'm not going to be a part of that. And then they start picking on you because you, you're not going to win the popularity contest by trying to live for Jesus. Paul knew there would be people who hated him because of what he stood for. He knew there'd be people who said his way of life just didn't fit with society. You know, the times have changed. And they just don't line up like that anymore. You know, I mean, anyway, I'm fixing to chase a rabbit, but I'm going to get back to my notes. Paul knew he wouldn't be popular. He was okay with that because he wasn't trying to impress people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he told the believers there, he said, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing to men, but to God who tests our hearts. See, doesn't believe what people, I mean, it doesn't matter what people believe about you. Doesn't matter what happens really on the outside, God's looking at the inside, and whatever's on the inside will be reflected on the outside. It doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God thinks. God, as Paul told the Thessalonians, tests our hearts. He examines them. We can trick a lot of people on earth. We can. We can, we can fool them. We can make them think we're something we're not. Paul says you can't fool God. He sees through all that and sees our hearts. I believe Paul would encourage us to pray the prayer that David prayed. It's recorded at the end of the 139th Psalm in verses 23 and 24 when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety." See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to life everlasting. Search my heart. For the Galatians, it'd come down to one question. Just one question. Who are you going to believe? That's the, what, essentially the question Paul's posing here. He said, I came and preached to you the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these folks are coming in. They're teaching you something that's different. I'm teaching you that salvation comes by faith in Christ alone. They're telling you something different. Who are you going to believe? But you know, when it comes right down to it, that's the very question that me and you face. That's the question we will face every single morning when we wake up. That's the question we will face every day when we go to school or to work, when we interact with clients, when we interact with coworkers, when we interact with friends. The question's going to be, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe Jesus? You're going to believe the world? You're going to believe the Bible? You're going to believe the 24-hour news network? You're going to believe Jesus for eternal life or the world for temporary pleasure. 
But you know, Paul's writing to believers. and These are believers who've fallen off track. And you may be here in the sanctuary this morning and you say, you know what, I, I previously placed my trust in Jesus just like the Galatian believers did. And I've fallen off track. You know what, he wants to get you back on track. He wants to get you back on living life like he's called you to live. And John, writing to believers in 1 John 1, 9, said, If you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you may be here in the crowd this morning and say, You know, I've never been on the right track. I've never been following Jesus. I've never trusted him as my Savior. I may have even walked the aisle and been baptized, but I realize now I never really trusted Jesus as my Savior. Paul said, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, if you're here this morning and God is telling you, what I mean, God, I don't know what God's telling you. Only you do. I'd implore you not to leave this building today without taking care of that in one way or another. Maybe you need to pray where you're at. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you know somebody you need to pray for. What's God leading you to do this morning? Bigger than that, bigger question than that. Who are you going to believe? Would you stand and let's sing?